Uh, this is the Tome of All Dooms, Season 3, Episode 1. I'm Jeff. And I'm Laren. And I don't know what to say now. An inspirational quote to start things off. As you get older, three things happen. First, your memory goes, and I can't remember the other two. Norman Wisdom, who was apparently a comedian. So I haven't recorded a podcast, according to Anchor, since October of last year. Yay. Um... So all of that time has gone by, and now, and now we're back. Um, what all happened in there? Well, a lot of stuff. And if you uh, if you're not interested in what happened, you might want to skip forward a couple minutes um, in the recording. And especially if you're starting to listen to this podcast with this episode. Um, but uh, I think October was Arneson Appreciation Month on uh, on the. Um, the Discord, the Audio Dungeon Discord, and I really wanted to participate in that, and I was kind of psyched about it because I'd kind of missed on doing RPG a day month in, uh, I think it was September, and I started looking at it and realized I didn't know anything really about Dave Arneson or Gary Gygax or um, much of the history of gaming, uh, although I played D&D since about 1981 or 2, um, I didn't know much about them, and it kind of flummoxed me, and I wasn't sure what to record, and everybody else was having a great time, and I kind of fell by the wayside, and between that and, and um, running a weekly game, and um, then getting hit with the, the holidays, the Thanksgiving and Christmas and New Year's holiday, and all of the rest of the stuff that life throws at you, I kind of haven't been um, recording all that much. So we're going to try and get a couple episodes out now. Lauren, do you have anything to add to that? No, no. Um, I didn't podcast much either during that time, so life just kind of got in the way, man. All right, well, hopefully it won't uh, won't be... Too much in the way going forward, or we'll just have to start calling it an odd cast rather than a podcast, and that it comes out oddly. I like it. All right. This episode contains, uh, we're starting with the campaign recap of the game that I've been running. Uh, then we go into some what's good stuff. And then uh, towards the end I added an unboxing that we recorded in October that has been sitting on my phone since then. That I thought, hey, maybe we should probably put that out. So um, any uh, mentions of dates or times in the unboxing are completely out of whack because um, that was recorded, I think, in... in... Alright, so... Um, let's see, campaign recap. 
So I've been running an Uncharted Worlds game, which is uh, powered by the Apocalypse sci-fi game. I ran it, started it last year, ran it. It actually survived through the dreaded Thanksgiving, Christmas, New Year's um, break, uh, and um, we got 12 sessions total, I think, each about two and a half hours online playing with five players usually, sometimes down to four. Um, we did the first season, um, which I'd already talked about a little bit, about the first couple episodes of that. Um, the crew uh, scrapped some ships, um, they got some salvage, they got uh, involved in a little bit of politics and with some AIs and uh, this AI collective neuroses um, thing uh, called the Boognish on this space junk pile called the Raft. That was pretty cool. Um, so we had some interesting um, kind of uh, holodeck-like experiences there. Uh, the final bit of the first season, they scrapped a ship that had a a drive on it that was um, slowly kind of tearing a hole in space time and time looping. So that was that was fun and exciting, and um, that they figured it out fairly quickly and were able to kind of save the ship and the drive. So they started their season two with this fantastic piece of tech. And then really didn't do a whole lot with it, which was kind of funny. Um, what they we only got a couple episodes into season two. Um, the but basically it was just we did a little time jump about six months ahead and looked at how the characters had changed and where they were going. So I wanted to make sure that I got the recap in because Shandy Andy had asked, sent me a call in about it. I want to make sure that that got done. What uh, what do you remember, Liren? Hmm. Um, I think you covered all the high points. Um, I remember lots of humor. I remember a couple of times when things suddenly got poignant and I loved when that happened. I remember, I remember sitting in my chair kind of in awe of the other players and the creativity that they brought to the table and feeling like I needed to be paying attention because I need to learn how to do that. Uh, I remember thinking that I was really lucky to be gaming with that group of people. I mean, I loved that story. And I remember thinking to myself that we were bringing stuff to you that I know you had no idea was coming because I don't know how you could have possibly known it was coming. And you just rolled with it every time. So, you know, I know I've mentioned this on my podcast that when I went to the convention with you last year, I found myself kind of sitting there watching you like kind of in awe because that creativity and that um, kind of clever, sharp sense of humor that you have is not something I see in our day-to-day -day life because 
when you're taking out the garbage and doing the dishes and driving kids around, it doesn't really call for that skill. So I find gaming with you once a week to be a really good reminder of that. So I am really happy that we're still doing that. Right. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. Um, our scrappers game kind of got put on hiatus as people's lives have changed and a couple of our players aren't going to be consistently there anymore. And that's kind of sad because I would have loved to have seen it continue into a full season two arc um, with more character development. But we're putting it on hold until we can get the gang back together again. In the meantime, we've started playing Monster of the Week, which is um, powered by the apocalypse as well. But it's monster hunting, a.k.a. Buffy or Supernatural. Um, the, the, I got the core book. It's put out by, it's published now by Evil Hap. Um, and it is super good as far as a core book goes. It explains things in depth. It really holds the GM's hand. If you need a, a PBTA game to look at and go, well, that's, that's how you do things, um, that game is really super well written. And we've had a couple sessions of that. Um, Isn't there another book that has some more p characters in it too, though? Yep, there is a a, um, a second book called the Tome of Mysteries right, that right, right, lets yep. you do um, not so much monster hunting, but includes ideas for doing things like a Warehouse 13, investigating phenomenon and artifacts, or an X-Files kind of alien type horror um, bit, and just generally includes extra material. So both of those books work real well together and I was super happy when I got them um they're really really solid oh I didn't realize that I initially when you shared the playbooks with us and let us pick I knew that some were from the core book and some were from the other book but I didn't realize that I went with the other book I don't think we've ever actually sat down and talked about that so that's really cool yeah I you know, Powered by the Apocalypse games never cease to amaze me because there is some real thought put into the playbooks and how the characters fit together in the ones that I've played so far. No, I think that's that's what makes a really good, solid Powered by the Apocalypse game is how uh, the the designer fits the core moves together with the playbooks and how everything kind of synergizes to give you the fiction that you're maybe you're expecting so if you're expecting to investigate um, monsters and then hunt them down and and get rid of them then the moves and the characters all support that um, and they are all all the characters are competent in something that can help that along and the core moves are about doing things and not about stuff that isn't really important to that brand of fiction um, which is, we, we kind of talked about that a little bit with Uncharted Worlds. There were a couple times in Uncharted Worlds that we hit things that the core moves in Uncharted Worlds really didn't cover. And yeah, I, like the Boognish. Like, like <laughs> the Boognish, um, which was our AI collective that the couple of the players kind of got their minds um, warped into at one point. And uh, we just kind of had to fudge it and, and move on. Um, 
but everybody was enjoying it, and I don't think it really suffered from it. But yeah, the game really didn't um, didn't support that in play. So right, but that is a shining example of a time when somewhere in the back of my mind I was going, "Ooh, the book does not cover this," and you were just like. Whipping along like Mr. Suave, GM, not hesitating. And I was like, wow, he is going to get lucky tonight. No. <laughs> yeah, well, that's never show the players fear. That's the that's the key to it. It's like, no, I don't know. Um, it's your big brain. That's what it is. I joke all the time about his big, sexy brain. And every once in a while, something happens that I go, oh. My God, your brain is so big. <laughs> All right, so one of the things that I'm currently stealing from uh, the Good Place, the podcast, uh, is that every episode they do a segment called What's Good, where the people on the podcast get to talk about something that is making the world better or bringing them hope or is basically good for them. And it can be anything from, um, you know, their kid doing something cute to a charity they support to uh, something that they enjoy. But it's something good, because certainly in the darkest timeline at this point, and the world needs more good stuff. So so I will ask you, Liren, what's good? Well, hmm... Uh, well, gaming-wise, what's good is that I have been on Sunday mornings playing in a game of Dark Trails that TJ and Cody are running, and TJ just finished up his section of it, and it was huge fun. I had a great time. Um, it's kind of intimidating because whenever you do things, you have to roll dice, and I never remember which ones to roll, and so everyone has been super kind about not sighing or audibly eye rolling so as I would notice when I'm like okay what do I do now so they've been really nice about that um I you know it's so funny to me because every game that I play I think to myself man these guys are so funny and clever and I just feel like it's really intimidating on some level and so I find myself having to pep talk myself and just go comparison is the thief of joy comparison is the thief of joy and reminding myself that you know I just need to enjoy being there and bring what I can and not stress about it so uh it's funny because I'm not usually somebody who has a lot of performance anxiety about things I taught for a lot of years and so I got used to the fact that there are things you're going to do in life that are uncomfortable and the bottom line is you just have to do it But it is really funny to me when it's almost time for especially one of those games to start because I don't have the security blanket of my husband being the GM. (laughs) So when one of those would start, I would kind of be sitting in my chair, you know, pop talking myself into, uh, I don't know, being happy about being there. I mean, it's It's not that I'm ever unhappy about being there. That sounds wrong. That isn't what I mean. I just, sometimes, you know, I can get all in my head and get in my own way. And, and then when the game starts and I really get into it, I forget about all of that and I just enjoy myself. But I do, it's funny because I do find myself every once in a while, one of them will say or do something and, 
and somewhere in my brain I just go wow like that was so creative there is a couple of people well gosh I'm trying to think you know I think everybody in our Monday night game has on many times made me go wow and um in the the Sunday game I already knew TJ so I have gamed with TJ before but I had not gamed with any of the other people in that group. So that has been really interesting. Um, my experience with gaming with new people, like at a con, is very limited. So I don't know. I don't have a lot of fears about that because I haven't had a lot of bad experiences with that. So I don't know. Maybe that's a good thing. But but I'm really enjoying that game. And tomorrow we have another session and Cody starts running his section of it. So that should be fun. I have to figure out, um, uh, Pete Jones shared a link with me. What is his podcast called? Dragons are real. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Um, he shared a link with me to a generator for zero level funnel characters because we started the first session with four zero level funnel characters. So I'm going to have to probably when we finish doing this, I'll create my four for tomorrow, but thank you very much, Pete, for sharing that link. Well, and tell us about your uh, your first um, uh, your first game or your first set, set of sessions with TJ. You, your funnel, you had one character survive out of that that you picked, and tell us well, about that. Yeah, I actually had so in that one we started with four characters, and I had three characters survive. But what we did was TJ said everybody pick one of your characters and move them up to level one, and when you do that, you pick a. What is it? It's not a profession. I can't think of the name. But anyways, you pick a type of character. You you get to more, define them more because, you know, in the funnel, you don't put a lot of energy into that because odds are a bunch of them are going to die. So the cool thing about that game is that even if they die, there are two different, uh, I want to say classes, and I don't think that's what they are. But anyways, uh, that are, that happen after the character dies so it's not like if you die you're done you just make your character a ton or a soul reaver is that what it's called soul something anyways um if you want to hear more about that you should listen to the tentacled tumbleweed podcast because cody and tj talk a lot about the mechanics of the game and how it works and there's even an interview with the creator on that podcast which was a lot of fun so I'm really enjoying that podcast a lot and it's funny because I felt like I had a little inside track because I listened to like every episode trying to soak up everything I can about it and TJ dropped a little spoiler in the last episode before our last session so that was good because I felt like I had a little leg up when the game started <laughs> But you haven't told us about your character. Oh, gosh, yeah. So my character was a butcher, and his name is Butch Steele because, you know, I'm so creative. I couldn't, you know. <laughs> Here's a play on words, I confess. And uh, the the whatever profession class, whatever I chose for him was Calavera, which... Um, so there's... In that game, there's an event that happens. And when the event happens, it kind of... Um, uh, rips the barrier between the spirit world and the and the living world and a calavera can speak to people on the spirit side as clearly as they can speak to people on the living side and when they do it when they use their ability to do that they get like a um um 
outline of a sugar skull over their face for uh, a set amount of time after they use it, which I thought was really cool. So that's been a lot of fun because a couple times my character could communicate with people that nobody else could even hear. So it was kind of funny because the guys would be joking about, "Uh uh-oh, but just talking to himself again. (laughs) (laughs) And so then I would have to explain to them, you know, who I was talking to and what was going on. So um, Cody's characters, all four of them actually died in the funnel, which was really funny. So he made one of his a Tommy knocker. And in the last episode, my character could talk to the Tommy knocker. So that was really cool. And you had a, I think your equipment on for your butcher was you had a side of beef? I did, yes. I had a side of beef and a cleaver, yes. And wasn't there some discrepancy as to how much that side of beef was worth or there was a hat or something? Oh, or... yeah, yeah. It's Yeah, and TJ actually talked to the creator about that. And it's because when we were talking about it and we were talking about, like, in this game, do you have to have food rations and stuff like that? Because right now it's not there. But realize that that game, I want to, was that game a Kickstarter? Yes, it was a Kickstarter. And so the, the version we're playing with is called the bootleg version. It's not the final version of the game. And um, TJ actually talks about that whole side of beef versus oxen thing in on the tentacle t- uh, tumbleweed podcast and and essentially the deal is the oxen are you know trained and they're um they there's a time investment in them that didn't happen in a side of beef you just kill a cow so uh anyway supposedly that had something to do with the price difference but anyway go listen to tentacled tumbleweeds if you want to hear more another good thing that's going on is andy goodman from expedition to the grizzly peaks is running a cthulhu game um on the audio dungeon discard it's called cthulhu and you but i don't know what the game is actually called that might be it i'm not sure um i haven't played in it yet but he mentioned it to me in a comment he left about my podcast um and so i messaged him and said do you really run a cthulhu game and he was like well yeah so um long story short, I'm going to play in that game. I have never played a Cthulhu game before. So, uh, I'm a little nervous about doing that, but I am just going to jump in and enjoy myself. And I even have talked my dear husband into joining me, which will be a lot of fun because we will get to game together with him not being the GM of the game, which will be cool. (laughs) I'm trying to think if we've ever done that. At cons, it's always been you running the game if we were playing together. Have we ever played in a game where you weren't the GM? Mm, Not that I'm aware of. Yeah, I don't think we have. I don't think so, because you've always run the games for our family. And I think at cons, it's always been you running the game. So that'll be cool. We'll get to be just two Joe Blow players in a Cthulhu game. And, you know, I think that's going to be awesome. I think that um, Andy is really creative, and I love listening to his podcast And he talks a lot about how much care he puts into running his games and making sure that his players enjoy themselves. So I feel like I'm definitely going to be in capable hands, but I am certainly a little intimidated. But, you know, I always get that feeling. It's funny because, like I said before, if I don't have my security blanket of my husband being the GM, I can be a little, like, nervous before things start. The cool thing is that Andy said that you don't have to do anything about your character. You have no idea who your character is going to be when you sit down at the table. So 
we'll see how it goes. The game is next Saturday the 7th, so I will we'll have to give a session update about how that goes for us. I yeah. He did say that he might be recording it for an actual play, too, so that would be really cool. I don't know. I think they've already played at least one session, so I'm not sure how much they've played. Okay. I mean, I've... I've played a couple Cthulhu scenarios over the years, but nothing that wasn't more than one shot, and um, nothing that actually lasted for for very long. Um, so I'm interested to see how uh, you know how that goes over multiple sessions, kind of thing. And um, yeah, I'm, I'm I'm looking forward to that. That'll be interesting. Horror is um, is something that I GM occasionally. Um, I've jammed some stuff like Ten Candles and Dread, but uh, I have not jammed any Cthulhu, so that'll be nice to, to play in and get some pointers and see how somebody else does it for a little while. Yeah, I loved that Ten Candles game you ran at Halloween. That was so much fun. I say so much fun. <laughs> I mean, it was fun, but but it was definitely a completely different flavor than Scrappers. So Scrappers were all... You know, just a bunch of quirky people out scrapping spaceships. Ten candles? Uh, yeah, creepy. Creepy from beginning to end, with the creep factor increasing. <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, I, I, can, I can speak to that a little bit. I mean, Ten Candles is a game of tragic horror. It's not about surviving. Um, it has an interesting mechanic with the candles, where the candles, you start with ten of them lit, and they go out one by one. And when the final candle goes out then there's uh, the game ends and then there's some mechanically some stuff you do at the very end of the game um, that I won't spoil. But it's, it is a game of tragic horror. The players are all going to die. Um, and it's about being hopeful in the midst of that impending doom. And it's really neat. It's well written and I, I really enjoyed it and I enjoyed running it. Um, mechanically, there was a lot to like there. There were a couple things that I was a little iffy on, but, uh, overall I think it's a great game, especially for one-shots and cons. Well, and it's perfect for Halloween. And we all knew we were not going to survive it. I mean, you know, you told us that right up front, but it was so interesting to me how invested we all got in that game. Like, towards the end, um, I think... At the end, we played hard right up until the end of our time window on that one, I remember, because mm -hmm. at the end, um, there was a point where it could have gone one way or the other, and I think you said, well, time is tight, so then it, you know, you took it one direction, but one of the things I love about the games that Jeff runs that I've played in is that uh, I hear people on podcasts talk a lot about railroading and funnels and all these things, and let me tell you... <laughs> When you play with my husband, you do not get railroaded. It is pretty fascinating to me how he just lets the players kind of go. And then if we get stuck, he just gently nudges and drops little nuggets that people can pick up or not. And and it's so funny to me to watch him do that because I watched him do it enough now that I recognize that as soon as things flag, it's okay because he is going to be right there to shove his little babies across the line to find something new to do to move to the next part of the story. And he does it, it when he does it, it's so funny because it's seamless. It's not like he ever goes, all right, you guys are stuck. What if you this or that? I mean, it is just like, 
You're very good at doing that. I don't know if it's because of how long you've been GMing or if it's just because you're such a good GM in the first place. I don't know. But playing with you, it's awesome because it never feels forced. And I keep waiting because, like, I don't know. Gosh, I've probably played in a dozen games you've run by now between the family ones and the ones at cons and and the three different games you've run with our Monday group now. And... I don't know. It's really interesting to me how you do that. I love it. Well, I mean, it comes... Part of that... Um, I don't want to toot my own horn. Um, Please toot your own horn. It's tootable. <laughs> it's tootable. <laughs> well, part of it comes from aggressive scene framing in games like Primetime Adventures where um, you're setting scenes. As you go around the table, you're setting dramatic scenes and you want... One of the best pieces of advice that I ever got about that game is that you want to get into a scene um, after the action has already started, do the scene, and get out before it flags or before it drops or before the momentum goes. Because if you spend too much time on the build-up, you never get um, into the scene proper and you never get to where things are actually like firing on all cylinders. Or if you do, it takes a while. And then you want to get out before... Um, the momentum drops, or if it drops, you, you want to get out before the second drop because um, players will. that's when players go off the rails or that's when they miss plot lines or that's where things just, the fiction all goes kind of wonky and screwy. So after running a bajillion sessions of that game and really aggressively hard-framing scenes with people, I have some kind of sense of when that happens. It doesn't always occur to me, but... Um, I can smell it a little bit now at the table and be like, oh, I, I know when this, this we need to get out of this scene or when it's going too long or when I need to throw ninjas at them because um, they're just not, they're not moving anywhere and they need to move or um, bad things are going to start to happen. I also noticed that if you get in a situation where you have a player who's either struggling or a player who's a problem because like they're kind of overshadowing scenes or they keep like interjecting what they think should happen even in other people's turns and stuff. You even handle that really gracefully, which man, that's the part that scares me. Like if I was running a game and that happened, it's so funny because I was just, I commented to Andy Goodman over on his podcast. He did an episode about having a player that blew up a session on him. And I sent him this big, long message and he played it on his podcast. And, and I listened to myself and I'm like, oh my gosh, I sound like a mama bear, like defending Andy because someone did something wrong to him, you know? And I was like, whew, five GM games. I'm going to have to carefully stomp on that because... That will make me not the best GM in the world. So I am at least aware of my habit of doing that. So I hope I can control it. Uh, well, I mean, you, you, you can aggressively shepherd your plot line along and and be protective of it, or or what, or just protective of the game and everybody's fun rather than, um, you know, being overly protective of your stuff. That's that's kind of what I try to do. I'm like, I'm always looking around the table and trying to make sure that everybody is engaged and having fun. And if somebody isn't, how do I bring them back in to the game? Um, and that, most of the time that works. But that is that is totally a skill from 
from running a lot of convention games because you will occasionally get the player that, I don't know, uh, when the new Harry Potter book drops, they bring the Harry Potter book to the game, and when they're not fully engaged, they're reading the next chapter of the Harry Potter book, or they're playing on their phone, or um, they have, they're playing a completely different game than the one that the other three or four people at the table are playing. Do you remember 12 years ago when I went to, I think it was Dexcon then too, and we were playing a game, and I think it was a game of Primetime Adventures. No, what was it? it was a game of Mortal Coil. Oh, that's right. Mortal Coil, yes. And this guy came to the table, and he had never played, like, an indie game. He was, like, a D&D, straight dice roll kind of guy. And he just could not get his head around the fact that you could give, you could have narrative control, and you make decisions, or you discuss with the other players where the story could go. He just had to roll dice for everything and I felt so bad for him because it's not like he was being obnoxious about it. He just literally was like, but but you can't do that. And and holy cow, by the end of that session he still hadn't gotten it. I felt so bad for you running that. <laughs> I thought, I don't know how Jeff is not like pulling his hair out at this point because you tried every single way of framing what a narrative game is. You were trying so hard, and I remember another player got a little bit frustrated with him, and you, like, totally smoothed feathers, and I was like, wow. <laughs> that was probably the worst case. I'm trying to think. I don't think I have seen another situation of that where a player was struggling that hard that the GM had to deal with it for, like, a whole... Was that, like, a three-hour session or a four-hour session? It was session? a four-hour block, Oh, yeah. my gosh. I just... I remember at the end of that, you were like, okay, I have to go lay down. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I was much younger and and uh, much more naive at that point, and um, I've yeah, I've learned to try to nip that stuff in the bud early and set expectations hard at the beginning of convention games, because if you're play if if they're gonna run off, they're gonna do it early. And uh, oh yeah, he did it right from the start. I've, <laughs> I I have never sat through a session that, with that big of a challenge before. I will say when I went with you last year. I went to a session of Monsters and Other Childish Things, and I was so excited about playing that game. And there were five players, three adults and two kids. And the kids were probably um, 11 or 12 and 14 or 15. And the 11 or 12-year-old was a boy who was really sweet and very creative. But, if I mean, any time anybody else was playing, the two of them were talking to each other, you know, doing things that were very distractive distracting to the the other people who are playing and so I felt bad for the GM he did a really good job of handling that too but but that game I did walk away thinking to myself yeah I didn't play much of that game at all because if the kids weren't you know part of the main action they were distracting from things and I certainly I'm not trying to insult them I just I don't know how he could have handled that differently um and, and really I think it went as well as it could have and it's not that I didn't enjoy the game, but I did think to myself, huh, that was interesting because I think I literally only played in two scenes out of that whole session. Yeah, I remember I remember you talking to me about that game. Um, yeah, playing with, with kids, especially teens at the table, is a lot different than playing with adults. Um, but I know the GM for that, um, for that, that was running for you there, Bob, and he is... He is masterful at even wrangling kids. He's a great Monsters and Other Childish Things GM. And 
And I think he just had too much on his plate at that particular game to really get everybody involved. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, I know I've seen him handle situations that um, at, at con games and stuff that would have floored me or fried me, but, uh, but he just takes it in stride and moves right along. <laughs> I think he told me that he does research. I'm trying to remember what he told me he does. Is he, I think he's a teacher or something. He's, and an, he, he's an academic. Yeah. And he does research on educational methods or something like that. And I thought, oh, that's a good fit. And, and at one point the boy got really upset because his, his monster got attacked and got damaged. And he thought that he had, he thought one of his skills would protect him from that. And it didn't. And he got very upset. I mean, like very upset. And it was so all the other players uh, really just like banded together and supported him. And, and the GM went over and just talked to him gently and said, Hey, why don't we take a break right now? And it was really amazing. I mean, he really is very good with kids. Mm-hmm. Yep. That was really cool. All right. So this is a random unboxing of a box I got in the mail. Uh, today, it was supposed to be delivered on uh, Wednesday. Uh, today happens to be Saturday, and the post office decided not to update the tracking information online. So I was kind of wondering where it got lost, or if it was even going to get to me. But it did get to me, so uh, so now we're going to open it. And I have Liren here to help me open the box. I <sighs> wait with bated breath to see what it is that you purchased. H- how big is the box? is a big box like that is not a book-sized box you could probably fit four at least novels like you know just like normal off the barnes and noble shelf novels in this box and that's just size wise probably two stacked high so that's a pretty big box the box is about 12 by 15 by about two inches thick i envy your estimation abilities all right, let's see. I'm ready to be dazzled. Are you ready to be dazzled? And? All right. <gasps> a piece of paper. Yeah, there's a packing slip, yes. And there's some brown paper. And inside <gasps> we have... Holy oh. crap on a stick. A very large book. That book took up every centimeter of that box. I mean, not thickness-wise, mm. but height and width. That's crazy. So... This is a Kickstarter that I kickstarted last year, I think, sometime. It is called Immersive Battle Maps by Yarrow Studios and created by Tanner Yarrow. Wow, the picture on the cover is beautiful. It's like a cartographer with like a magical pen and he looks very fancy. So the book... Ooh, you better open gently. It's it has cardboard protectors on the corners, and it has plastic like shrink wrap on it. Wow, fancy packing job too. Awesome. So it is. That's about if we measure it by uh, an eight and a half by eleven binder. It is. Uh, yeah, it's eleven. The the book itself is eleven by. 17 or 18? Yep, I would bet that's 11 by 17. That would be my estimate. The idea here was that it's two uh, 11 
by 17 pages that fold out flat to make a um, 22 by 17 map that you can use for games. So what it is, what it says on the back, it's quite the tome, is uh, I am Atlas Monday, welcome to my world. 30 highly detailed maps included in this book. Uh, 30 giant maps, 22 by 17, lay flat binding, uh, play directly inside the book. Dry erase finish on every page, uh, minimal one inch grid pre-printed. And then it has a list of all of the maps. So, wow, we shall open this beast up and... Oh my... Wow, is that beautiful. So the first page is a page of stickers that you can apply. They're cling film stickers that you can apply to the pages. They have some treasure chests. Some gold. Some stairs. That's some a, brickwork. A log. Oh, yeah, a log. A sarcophagus. Wow. All right. I am literally in awe of this book. This is awesome. So the, <gasps> so the Oh, guys. This is very pretty. So this is a castle. The first map that you lay out flat on the first page is labeled as Siege on the Castle Wall. And it is a castle wall with a battle area off to the top of the page with three ballista. Wow. And a one-inch grid. Again, it's 22 by 17, so you could take this, you could lay it on your game table, you could play directly on the book. Um... That is amazing. All right, so we've had a few minutes to look through this particular book. The book is 64 pages, but the pages are very thick. They are laminated both sides because they have battle mats on both sides. Uh, I kickstarted this last year um, because it is 30 different battle mats there that come out to be 22 by 17 and when i kickstarted it it was 35 dollars plus shipping so i didn't i thought i really can't buy 30 different battle mats of this size for 35 dollars but i could buy this book and the book looks beautiful on top of it and it has a lay flat binding so that any page you turn to the book lays pretty much flat it is really cool and looking at each page as the pages turned, we were both just like, oh, they really are beautiful. The standouts for me are, there's one called Lava Fields that is just gorgeous. It's very dark. It looks like a cave. In the corner, there's a skull with lava coming out the eye holes and the mouth. And in the center, there's a pentagram that is really beautiful with circles and little, you know, strange runic writing around it it's just it is really gorgeous i mean it definitely elicits a mood just to look at it my second favorite is the sunken ship it has like a coral reef around it that's very brightly colored it's very atmospheric i really like this one this was definitely one that when he turned the page i was like whoa that's awesome and the other one i really liked the book calls it The Hedges of Lauren Elise, I believe. That was on page seven. And it looks like a maze. It's like a hedge maze. And it's really cool. It's very, 
it's kind of dark and there are light sources, you know, throughout the maze. And I, it's very beautiful. I think when I look at this, I even just looking at it, I'm like, whoa, that would be really cool to walk through that maze. But I have a soft spot for mazes anyway. Okay. Um, I really liked the ones that were, uh, had ships on them or ocean. I still have a thing about running a 50 fathoms game or, um, a salt marsh game and and i've i've wanted to do that for a while um so there's there's one that has docks and it has two ships one in in disrepair and one uh that looks pretty good um there's a map that is the ship on the ocean and then there's a map that's just ocean uh, and then of course there's the underwater shipwreck there's also a shipwreck on a desert island um, which is pretty cool oh yeah that one is cool yep and then there's uh, there's one called Undiscovered Ice Lands that doesn't have a shipwreck on it, but it's like a an ice flow with icebergs and stuff, and that that looked really really beautiful. That really um, made me think of the blood and snow game that you ran at DuxCon. Right, that was what I was thinking of. Yeah. So uh, so these maps, like I said, are 22 by 17 laid out. They have a one inch grid on them, square grid, and uh, as part of this, I also got all of them in both um, gridded and ungridded formats digitally to use on Roll20. So I thought oh. it was an awesome resource you for that as well. did? I did. Wow. That is so cool. See, I could totally see him doing a space version of this book. And I think that actually the, the gentleman who put this book out, I think that was one of the things he was um, getting ready to do uh, this year or next year sometime. Uh -huh. But I'm sure it takes an awful lot of time to build these maps. Oh my gosh, yeah. And and the thing is, I have such a soft spot for space games right now with our Scrappers game because I am absolutely loving that game. So the first thought in my head when we got through it was, oh, ooh, if only there was this, but in space. <laughs> <laughs> Although I have to say, when we were playing Ghost Shell, the ICRPG space setting, the artwork that you get with that is just amazing. I really, when we were playing that as a family game, it was very evocative and interesting and and it's almost I don't want to say abstract so like the tokens and the the deck that you could print out is like heavy line art that's only like one or two colors but the map of the ship is almost kind of um abstract a little bit like it doesn't have very solid walls and stuff so I don't know I just I thought it was really cool so but this book is amazing. Now I'm like, uh-oh, now we got to figure out a game to play on this book. Well, I also, <laughs> uh, the other unfortunate part about it is, you know, it's, the book is 17 inches tall. So um, I'm not really sure where on the bookshelf it's going to live. I think it's going to live in the box it was delivered in so it doesn't at, get damaged, is least, what I suspect. At least for a little while. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, this is, this is an awesome resource and... Uh, well, it is a little bit heavy to take to cons for a home game. I think it would be perfect, and it is certainly uh, well worth all of, well worth the the cost. And I know that he had printed them up, and um, you know, as a Kickstarter, so there should be copies available just regular now at a slightly uh, larger price. 
so I think 45 or $50, but the book is certainly well worth it. So again, it's Immersive Battle Maps by Yaro Studios, Y-A-R-R-O. Well, when I, I, we don't have like, we don't okay each other's Kickstarters or whatever. So when he kickstarts something, I don't know how much he spends on it. He doesn't like go hog wild or anything. So when he pulled this box book out of this box, I thought, whoa. I bet he kickstarted that for a lot. And I'll tell you, when he said $35, I was like, no way. Because this is really beautiful and well made. Like, that is not going to fall apart anytime soon. So, wow, is that ever worth it. I mean, I would not have been at all shocked if you had told me you spent 60 or $70 on that book. So, it as a Kickstarter, knowing Kickstarters are usually a little lower price. So, yeah, I, I think that was a great investment, honey. Good job. <laughs> Yeah, and uh, hopefully I'll get it to the table at some point, or if not, at least uh, roll 20 sometime soon. And you can just get it out and look at it longingly sometimes, too. That has some value. It does. For inspiration, I think it's wonderful to look at and go, well, how would I use this map for a game, or could I use this map for a game? Because sometimes the game you know, calls for the map, but then sometimes you can just use the maps for the game. Yes. Awesome. So there's our unboxing. All right. Well, thank you for including me. That was awesome. Thank you for listening. If you'd like to contact Jeff, you can email him at podcast at tomeofalldooms.com or message him through the Anchor app or from the link in the show notes. Now go play something.